Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Tara Misu. She is CEO and founder of Blazing Bakery here in New Jersey. She's also a board member of the New Jersey Cannabis Association. She's also host of a podcast called Trailblazing with Taramisu. And so we're going to talk about all the work that she's doing in cannabis. We're going to talk to her about really kind of how we see the cannabis industry, the cannabis business shaping up. A lot of things are changing in the world of cannabis in terms of regulations, in terms of legal side of things, both on the state level and the federal level, and just kind of dig into it and and kind of see how, how things are playing out, what's working, what's not, where are we falling short, where are we making some good moves. There's so much to be kind of done in cannabis and so much impact that cannabis is having not only on business, but society, culture, medicine, that it's a really interesting and uh, dynamic space to be in right now. So with that, Tara, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me, Bruce. It's great to be here. 
Yeah, it's a pleasure. Why don't we start with background before we kind of get into all, all the things that are going on right now in, in the world of cannabis and particularly kind of in the on the East Coast here with a couple of these new states passing sure. uh, legislation or, or pending pl- passing. Um, what was the background? How, how professionally, what were you doing? How did cannabis come into play? Give us a little bit of the story. My goodness. Well, the, the story could take half the show. Um, I've been in this for 11 <laughs> years, so I'll give you the real cliff note version. In 2009, I created the first brownie mix for herbal brownies. And since then, I, you know, I've moved into activism and legislation. But uh, technically, through that, I have the first edibles company in New Jersey. In 2018, oh, and that mix was picked up by Spencer Gifts. So I was in a thousand stores nationally. I had a number one YouTube video went viral. So yeah, that kind of put me back back in, you know, the early teens. And then Mm -hmm. around 2018, Governor Murphy got into office and New Jersey really started to see some progress after a very dark period under Christie for cannabis legalization. So I kind of shifted from, you know, strictly being a businesswoman to uh, activism in in a very strong way. So uh, I got involved with the cannabis legislation that was pending and I co-authored our medical marijuana bill. And the thing that I'm most proud of in that is the creation of a micro license, which I modeled after California and Massachusetts to create opportunity for small business in New Jersey. And, you know, I'd love to talk more about that. Something I'm very passionate about. And, you know, with that, then I got involved with the New Jersey Cannabis Business Association. I was executive director there for a while. And now I I still stay on the board, but uh, they're the first and largest cannabis trade organization in the state. So through them, I had a lot to do with legalization getting passed here, which was great. I've taught the first accredited cannabis course in New Jersey, which I'm so happy we're, you know, educating people now. And uh, yeah, my podcast, you know, a decade in this industry, which everyone says you age in dog years. It's a a lot. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) I am. Yeah. So I've been working my network and bringing some real thought leaders on the show. It's been exciting to talk to people and uh, it's exciting to talk to you today. So, yeah, without any more about me. Yeah, that was great. And, and thank you for being on. So I'm curious, the work that you do or, or kind of how do you balance the sort of the business side and the advocacy side? I mean, are these are these go hand in glove? Are they kind of two parts to your day? Are you split personality here? I mean, what? how do you kind of see yourself as a business owner side, but also as an advocate? I think it flows organically. It's almost to a degree out of my control. Like right now I'm doing a ton of consulting. You know, Jersey just got its bill signed last week and that means the phones start ringing and everyone wants, you know, all the entrepreneurs come out, all the hopeful license holders, you know. So then I just have to say, okay, this is... This is how I pay my bills. This is how I make my living. It's time to just live at my laptop and consult and do calls all day. And, you know, I'll put my yeah. cape back on in a little while, you know. But then um, when you have something that is really important to the movement, like back before New Jersey's ballot leading up to that in November, it was almost no work. It was all activism. You know, I, there was a, a group we put together through NJCBA. Uh, it was an alliance with, um, you know, MPP, ACLU, a lot of people. And, uh, you know, that was lawn signs and activism and, you know, get out and vote and make sure doing videos of how to mail in your vote during COVID. That was a whole thing. Uh-huh. So when um when cannabis needs me, I try to be there for cannabis. And when the business opportunities are there, sometimes I step away. And, you know, it's really the nature. You can't separate at this point politics and cannabis. They're just so related because our industry is dependent on the progress of legislators and, you know, these bills that are pending on a federal level right now, mm-hmm. giving banking rights, things like that, things that will really open up our industry and legitimize it. 
And uh, yeah, and making sure, you know, there's these giant MSOs and that's great. That helps move the industry in a big way. But making sure they just don't come into states and limit the licenses and cut out opportunities for small business. So, um, yeah, you can't separate the two anymore, really. Yeah. And how do you see, I mean, the fact that we are fairly early industry, things are still being worked out. What is this kind of the role or the balance or the interplay between, you know, kind of the business side and the regulatory side, sort of the states and the federal government in terms of, you know, setting these policies, setting the regulations. What is the ideal role that people are playing? I mean, at at some level, we need to kind of separate church and state. At the other level, we need to work together collaboratively. Like, how do you see that balance happening? I think, you know, I'd always tell people and I'll sometimes call myself a, a lobtivist. Because, <laughs> you know, it's, um, you know, I'm not a registered lobbyist. I, I you yeah. know, I, I'm a political enthusiast. But, um, yeah, so it's activism. It's contacting your legislators. It's people who really are knowledgeable about cannabis. Like, I can't tell you how many, you know, politicians and people, CEOs, people who are going to be involved in the cannabis industry that I sat down and educated about cannabis. Because I said this industry has its unique challenges. And even in New Jersey, we have our unique culture here. You know, it's different than California. It's different than Colorado. So we need to get this right. The rules, the regulations, the way our businesses operate and can operate. It needs to be done per New Jersey cannabis. And 11 years, I've never, you know, moved my business to, frankly, states that I would have had a much more easy time operating in. So I think few people know the cannabis industry here better than me. And uh, but other people who do know it, I want them to reach out as well and educate people. And that's such a big part of it, because the war on drugs was so successful in spreading fear and misinformation. So we, we had a really big hurdle and we still do. There's so many states where, you know, their ballot that just passed was at South Dakota. They're trying to overturn their ballot. Um, not to, uh, get too specific with things, but yeah, I always tell people you gotta get involved. And if you want to do business in your state, it's a heavily regulated industry. So you can't stick your head in the sand. You need to know these regulations Mm -hmm. and you need to know if there's going to be things that will affect you and stop you from doing business that will cut you out of this industry. And if you're not paying attention, that happens. So, um, yeah, you can't keep your yeah. head in the sand. It's you yeah. got to do it. You do, you do it at your own at your own risk. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious on the, um, I mean, you mentioned you were, you know, quite involved in the setting New Jersey's medical cannabis programs. I mean, what's your general take on the split that we have as an industry of these kind of medical programs and adult use programs and how states have, I mean, generally states have been kind of doing medical programs first and then kind of bringing in adult use later. Is this working? Is it not working? How do these programs kind of impact each other? What's kind of your take at this point? I think it is working and I think it's a necessary evil. You know, I would love to see everything just get shepherded in at once. But because there is this existing fear, I think so many people need that gateway. You know, we used to call uh-huh. it's funny. We used to call cannabis a gateway drug. Now we call it an exit <laughs> drug because yeah. um, what it actually is used for now is to get people off harder substances like opiates and, you know, things like that. Yeah. But um, I think medical is a great gateway to adult use because it takes that fear that people have of, oh, my God, this is a drug. This is going to our children, our communities. And you get to start educating them in a, a way that this helps people. This is a medicine. This is something that does good in society. And then they see maybe someone who was suffering with pain or someone who had a terminal illness or a child with epilepsy. And they say, oh, this isn't the 
poison, you know, devil's lettuce. I've been uh, taught to believe lettuce, it yeah. is. Yeah, you know, <laughs> these old, you know, reefer madness type things. So the, the medical kind of comes in and it alleviates some of the fear. And then once that is kind of softened, then you can start making adult use arguments for, you know, what people are going to prison, social justice, tax revenue, yeah. things like that. So I think it's a necessary evil, not an evil, but you know, like I said, it would be great if I could just snap my fingers yeah. and everyone supported cannabis and it was legal federally and that would be great. But in the meantime, and you know what, prioritizing patients is good too. In some ways, it's good to get the medical program up first and make sure patient mm -hmm. needs are being served before we open it up to adult use. But um, simultaneously, a lot of people, you know, in Jersey, there were some rights you lost. Uh, I mean, gun ownership is a, a real consideration for some people. And uh, mm -hmm. organ donors, there was no medical coding for cannabis if you went into a hospital. So they would just put you down as a substance user. And once you're a registered medical eligible for an organ. So that was actually something I addressed and, you know, got overturned in our legislation. So, you know, the medical thing and being registered, sometimes you lose rights. If your state doesn't have protections in place for your job, that can be an issue. Um, you know, we had, we had a landmark lawsuit here about workman's comp because the person was a cannabis patient. So really, once adult use comes in, that anonymity is a big thing, even for people who are using it medically, because you can go in like you're going to a liquor store, show your ID, you're 21 and out you go. So even even in a medical sense, adult use is really vital to this working for everyone. Yeah, yeah, it, does. it certainly seems that the, the medical programs don't really serve all the people that need cannabis from a medical point of view. I mean, obviously it helps to a great extent. But. So you mentioned the MSOs coming in now are a big kind of influence on these uh, programs and how the licensing works. And I mean, I guess, what do you see as being kind of the key things we need to put in place for states to make sure that we've got a healthy, thriving, equitable, multifaceted, you know, cannabis industry in, in all these locations. What, what are some of the things that you're looking for in terms of the state programs and the, and the uh, regulatory structures? Yeah. And, and those are both great words, thriving and multifaceted. Because if you look at New Jersey's program in the time since Governor Murphy took office, which is, you know, almost four years, we're almost up on reelection, mm -hmm. we have opened six new dispensaries. In that same <laughs> amount of time, Oklahoma yeah. has opened 2,200. Um, yeah. So if you want to use the word thriving, Oklahoma's industry is thriving. They're having conferences out there. You know, there's entrepreneurs yeah. and companies that are, you know, getting bought out. And they're, they're having this really exciting industry that is coming up. At, you know, who saw that coming? But good for Oklahoma. And they only have medical so far. And it's already that, you know, yeah. I would not call New Jersey thriving. You know, we, we were tied up in litigation with our last licensing round for a year and a half that just got settled mm -hmm. and even at that it was you know very few licenses being released our first 2018 round we had 146 licenses submitted and they awarded six so i mean yeah and what one more statistic i'll give you to blow your mind here so for our state population of nine million we have 15 dispensaries currently which uh, if you do the per capita on that is very depressing now Colorado, who has about half our population, the city of Denver has 400 dispensaries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so thriving is a is a great word. We're definitely not thriving. We're we're barely treading water in New Jersey, and that's something I need to see changed. And you know, multifaceted. 
right now we have all multi-state operators, big business, some public companies mm. who are running our program. So to thrive and to be multifaceted is what I brought to the table. And uh, it's, you know, one of the things I'm most proud of is the micro license. And this gives yeah. opportunity to women, minorities, and veterans. I also had put in the bill a 15% set aside, which I believe this is everyone's talking about social justice. I think this is the biggest social justice element in New Jersey right now. So um, mm-hmm. it makes you have to have 100% New Jersey ownership. 51% has to be the town you live in or an adjoining town. It's, you know, there's all these safeguards to really keep out big business and encourage. And then at the same time, the fees are half the price. The regulations aren't as high. So now you're opening it up to that small business owner because the thing that depresses me most, and if I could change one thing in the cannabis industry uh, nationally, yeah. it would probably be, it would definitely be that I don't like we are having merit-based applications. That is insane to me. If you Google the word merit-based, the only other thing that comes up is college scholarships. You know, <laughs> exactly. there's no other business in America where you have to compete to open a business. Like, can you imagine restaurateurs in your town having cook-offs to see who gets to open it? But not only are they having cook-offs, it's not with your neighbor, it's Bobby Flay and Emerald Lagasse coming in who have already 40, you know, restaurants. That's who you're competing against. You're competing against people who have 40 dispensaries, have billions of dollars sometimes behind them, and you're competing with them to open a dispensary in your own hometown, which is crazy. And, And if we go by that model, we're only going to have in some of these states the chains. We're going to have to, you know, continue the analogy. We're going to have Applebee's and Olive Garden. You yeah. know, we're never going to have that great little Italian restaurant down the street that, you know, and and that's small business. That's America. That's someone who can open that dispensary and put their kids through college and make a good life for their family. And yeah, uh, yeah that's really what I want to see happen in New Jersey. And when you give out six licenses, when you give out twelve licenses, when you make it a competition. Those guys don't have a stand a chance. I mean, the the amount that was spent on licenses just to apply in New Jersey was between half a million to one million dollars. So it's someone who has to have a million dollars just to apply with a single digit percent chance of winning. You know? That's <laughs> you know? a lottery. <laughs> it's it's a lottery and you gotta have a lot of money to blow on that lottery ticket. You know, so something like the micro license and making it unlimited, you know, that's something like uh, Oregon was heavily criticized for saturating their market. But what we have in America is capitalism. And, you know, like it or not, (laughs) when you give everyone a fair shot, the cream rises to the top. You know, if you only give corporations a chance and they say, what are these stoners like gummy bears and chocolate? You're just, you know, that's you get what they give you. But if you give, you know, 200 people a chance and they start making all these craft edibles and these, you know, craft strains and putting their heart and soul and people who have passion for this, that's what you got out in Oregon. And, you know, it's the equivalent of having micro brews and all these great different, Mm -hmm. you know, variety. And that's what I hope we get for Jersey. So and not capping the licenses, so not making them merit based and not capping them. So you can have 200 different people who want to throw their hat in the ring at making a cool edible or making a beauty product or topical or something new and exciting. Mm -hmm. I know this one girl who makes mustard and barbecue sauce. (laughs) Like, um, yeah. So that's where innovation comes when you give um, small people, creative minds a chance to really do something new and interesting. So that would be my one kind of two changes. No more merit-based and no more caps. That would be great. And why why do we have them? I mean, what's the dynamic at the legislative level or at the regulatory level that's that's causing these things 
to get put in place. I mean, it drives up valuations of the existing licenses. You know, if you only have 12, the last two licenses that sold in New Jersey were, well, I shouldn't say the ones I know they're disclosed, but it's a lot. The public one was 130 million. So when you, and that's just the license, you know, it's when you can limit them, you maintain the value, you may maintain scarcity. You know, people don't, if you only have 15 dispensaries to go to, those 15 dispensaries can print money. If you have 400 in one city, now you have a competitive marketplace and you really have to make sure you're putting out quality product, great customer service, great patient care. You know, everything has to be top notch to survive. Yeah. Which is what I want for my industry. I want I want the best product that's there. I want the best patient care these people could receive. And and also, you know, targeted patient products, if we want to talk medical, you know, and something else I'm, I've been involved in recently was um training and I'm trying to standardize training. So when you do go into one of these facilities, you'll get a bud tender who really can say, okay, well, you have problems with spasticity, so you can't have a loz- lozenge, you know, you have trouble sleeping. Mm-hmm. So uh, aside from just saying, oh, you should smoke an indica that's not sufficient anymore you need to say <laughs> yeah, like exactly. okay something with you know linalool and the uh, cbn and you know you have to be able to create a cannabis profile and know that so education is really important like we just need to do better and that's just some of the things i'm trying to accomplish with all this well yeah that's quite a few things and they're they're big problems i'm curious about what happens like what do we need to do to change some of these things so i mean obviously we can you know we can vote in different ways. We can become active in the industry. But what are some practical things that cannabis enthusiasts, cannabis users, cannabis business owners, people that are in the industry, what can they do to actually see some of these changes get made? Well, I could tell you what I did. I'd never testified, you know, before anyone in my life before. So I, I was at some kind of cannabis event and the person said, why don't you, you know, you know what you're talking about? Why don't you come by and testify tomorrow? It was on a I think it was a hearing on descheduling. I said, okay. So I did well and I, I didn't even realize what I was doing. And then there was, um, <laughs> they said, there's another one this weekend. It's about licensing in New Jersey. And it was a really big one. It was, um, you know, it was one of the first ones on the news. It was Assemblyman Danielson, who, who I ended up co-writing the cannabis bill with, the medical one. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I went to it and I really knew more than a lot of the people speaking. So Fox News was there, ABC News, they interviewed me. It was great. I got some coverage for that. That really helped. But Assemblyman Danielson, who was the um, the chair of the committee that I was testifying in front of, said, you know, these uh, these licenses, I'd like to, uh, I have four minutes to testify. I'd like you to show me how you can open one without a million dollars. And I said, mm-hmm. if you give me more than four minutes, I'll show you. <laughs> said, if you give me more than four minutes, I'll show you. <laughs> and I brought the existing bills. I, you know, I highlighted them. I made notes. Mm-hmm. And I said, we got to do better than this. And, you know, with no background in politics, I just kind of rolled up my sleeves and figured it out and crash coursed on legislation and ended up co-authoring a bill. So it really, you know, I didn't study poli sci. I didn't, you know, do anything mm-hmm. political. I just had a passion and I knew we could do better and I know my industry. So if you fall into that category where you can get in front of people and really try to facilitate change in an active way, you'll learn the political part. Like I learned that as yeah. I went. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's um people can make a change. Before all this, I thought, uh, your vote doesn't matter. This doesn't matter. It's all corrupt. It's all <laughs> nothing like, you know, but it does matter. So people need to get out and try to make a difference. And, you know, don't take no for an answer. People will listen. These people do care about their votes and getting reelected and voter sure. bases. You know, that was really when the tide turned in New Jersey, when people saw, oh, this has 
we're over 50%. We're over 60%. We're almost at 70% popular support for cannabis. Now people have to change their minds because... uh, Yeah, that shifts, shifts tides. Yeah. That's great. Let's talk a little bit about the business side. I mean, as as you've worked with folks that are starting, running cannabis businesses, what are the big challenges that they're facing just as as an industry right now? Where are we? I know we've been growing a lot. There's, you know, been a lot of kind of development and movement, but what if you if you're a cannabis business owner, what are the things that you're faced with at this point? Yeah, so this is very interesting cuz um We're mirroring a lot of this now with censorship in other areas, which everyone's very familiar with and, you know, social media in America right now. And it's the discrimination that has been going on in cannabis for over a decade that no one cared about because it was cannabis. It was something people could cast aside. It's, oh, those stoners, who cares that they're getting banned from social media platforms, that they don't have any kind of freedom of speech to to talk about these things. I've had my social media shut down five times. I've had yeah, my bank crazy. yeah, I've had my bank accounts closed. I've had my funds frozen. I've been escorted out of banks by security for the name of really? Yeah, but for the name of my account. They went to my website. I was selling an ancillary product that was legal in all 50 states, can ship internationally uh-huh. and was available at the mall at Spencer Gifts. And I got escorted out of a bank by security. You know, so it's been just blatant discrimination. I've been, I'm so banned by PayPal. If I call, it disconnects me. And I can't even close the account anymore. Mm -hmm. Yep, my phone number's flagged. You know, so I I saw a couple people, I guess PayPal went on a tear this week. Uh, A couple people saying that. And I I need to get and start recommending Square to people. I was just actually just going to put up a post for that because they came out as supportive of CBD businesses, which is great. But they reactivated my account that got banned eight years ago. I've also um, been shut down by Stripe and Amazon Payments and just about everyone, you know, and then you use these third party ones that take exorbitant fees. So it's finally starting to come around. But um, payment processing, if you don't know it, you're going to get shut down. You can only play that cat and mouse Mm -hmm. so long. Banking, of course, we now have, I, uh, if you're in New Jersey, BCB Bank is something uh, I actually brought their president onto the board of NJCBA, and uh, I was trying to help them get loans to uh, to be able to fund cannabis businesses. We just need yeah. to find them uh, an underwriter, but that's something they want to do. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I mean, right now, the thing with PPP loans and SBA loans, you know, that because oh, of the yeah, federal status, you know, they cut out cannabis. So these are challenges for everyone. Even people are biased against ancillary products. Even sometimes they don't bother to do the homework. You know, even CBD, some people, even though that has been legalized, it's in the farm bill. But um, these are private companies. They can censor who they want. They can shut down who they want. And uh, it, it's interesting. Maybe we'll see some change now because it's affecting a different industry. You know, it's affecting people mm-hmm. that get headlines, you know, not in the way that cannabis do when someone's cannabis social media gets shut down, you know? So we'll see, see if uh, things get a little better, but there's a lot of challenges. And and that's one thing I do with uh, consulting with a lot of times when I speak, you know, it's it's usually this feel good love fest. And I I tell myself, because I get jaded, I've been doing this 11 (laughs) years. Like, Tara, you got to stay positive. You got to, but sometimes it's a healthy dose of reality because people come in very wide-eyed and you know they're green and they're gonna have so much fun in cannabis and i tell people it's hard it's a brutal industry like it's gotten a lot easier than it was 11 years ago but it's not Mm -hmm. like get ready just so uh i I, i'm the crusher of dreams but i try (laughs) (laughs) i mean you know i would say many industries are hard i mean if if it was easy kind of everyone would be starting businesses but yeah there are some particular challenges (laughs) inside cannabis that i find a lot of folks that are 
I call it pivoting in cannabis. If you've got a business, you know, outside of cannabis, but you have an opportunity to develop a cannabis uh, line of business or a product or service, you know, it, it can hit you kind of, you know, square in the face a, a couple of times if, if you're not prepared for some of these issues, you know, as you mentioned, like, the, you know, the banking and, you know, the dealing with some of the platforms for advertising and social media and things like that. It's, there are some significant challenges. What are your hopes, kind of dreams over the next couple of years, you know, in cannabis, if I gave you a magic wand and you could sort of change some things coming up in the future here, what, what would they be? And, and why are they important to you? Well, my personal magic wand, I would give myself a cannabis processing license that I could open tomorrow. Uh, that's not going to happen. But um, we're, we're looking to open adult use stores by midsummer to transit grandfather the existing ones and then um, to issue new licenses by uh, 2022. But I want my Willy Wonka chocolate factory. I want to start making cannabis edibles. Yeah. I've been 10 years just chomping at the bit to do it. So, and, and, you know, I've looked at other states. I have been seriously considering it recently because we're just falling so far behind. But, um, yeah. you know, it's uh, maybe, maybe. I, I don't write it off anymore that I'm just going to start doing maybe a licensing deal or hop on a license in another state. But, ugh. You know, I, I feel bad for people in the states who are behind Jersey because there's so many states yeah. now where people are starting to get brand recognition. You know, I used to say to people, can you name one edibles brand in, say, a conservative state or even in New Jersey? And usually they can't because they don't have any footprint there, you know, yeah, unless you're no yeah, yeah, unless you're actively following the markets, California, Colorado. And, and a lot of them, you know, with the way you can't go across state lines, even some of the biggest companies aren't in every adult use state. So um, but the longer it goes, that's not going to be true anymore. And people are losing their, you know, first out the gate advantage of being able to all do this simultaneously. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, everyone get on board. That's what I'm doing with my magic wand. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Cool. Tara, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about the work that you do, about the podcast, what's the best way to get that information? Absolutely. Um, so Trailblazing with Tara Masu is the podcast. You could listen to it. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. It's everywhere. Uh, I have a video version on YouTube. And uh, you, or you could go to trailblazingpod.com and find out all the info. I do consulting, so you could reach out to me through any social media. I'm everywhere as I am Tara Masu. And uh, if you want to check out some of my products, the things I created, we have a lot of new things coming. Um, that's shipped nationally, Delta 8, you know, uh, all the new minor cannabinoids that are becoming trendy. We're launching a ton of great new products. That's Blazin, B-L-A-Z-I-N, bakery.com. Great. I'll make sure all the links are in the show notes here. Awesome. People can click through, get that information. Tara, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. All right. Thank you for having me, Bruce. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.